that was all positive. But then it seemed like June the 21st was a really long way away. And it's really hard to look at that date and keep going. There will be trials for us to face still, but we now have a plan that we hope we can follow. And part of the reason for us looking at this book of Revelation is that it's God's roadmap for the end of all of the suffering and the pain and the death that we have to endure here on earth. God has a plan that there will be a new heaven and a new earth when he will dwell amongst us. This is our hope, a hope that is sure and certain because we can trust and believe in him. This letter that we're going to look at this morning was written to a church that was going through difficult times. There was a lot of challenging things in those days, as we've heard already in this sermon series. But the main message of this book of Revelation was a message of comfort and of hope, because God is in charge and Jesus has won the great victory. In a world that was hostile and dangerous, it was good to know that Jesus was on their side. So let's dig deeper into this reality. So today, we're looking at this letter to the church in Philadelphia. It's a letter that speaks about opportunity. For Jesus says, I will open a door for you, a door that no one can shut. Even in a time of trouble, there are ways that you can seek to serve me. There was a headline uh, last week. Uh, We've got a slide. I don't know if we can put that up. From the Daily Express that said, COVID pandemic brings British churches back to life. It said that the public attitudes to churches have changed for the better with faith groups winning praise for their response to the pandemic. Now, we know that most of the things that we've been doing in this pandemic, we were already doing. And it's just that now everything else has been stripped away. People have noticed what we're doing for the first time sometimes. We've always been doing Friday Fridge, but now it stands out as something special. Even though we've been shut away by restrictions, Jesus is still making a difference in times of trouble. There are open doors for us even now. This letter to the church in Philadelphia is one of two letters that is wholly positive out of the seven that Jesus writes to those seven churches back then. This letter is all about encouraging that church, a church in a specific situation. Jesus knows what is happening. He knows their deeds. He knows what's going on. And he sees the issues that they face, just as he knows what we are going through now. This ancient city of Philadelphia was a city that was affected often by earthquakes. And one of the ancient historians calls Philadelphia a city full of earthquakes. It was a city that was nearly completely destroyed in the year AD 17. But by the time this letter was written towards the end of that first century, the city had been rebuilt again. The city was a city that was originally built on the edge of the Greek Empire 
And it was built there so that the Greek Empire could expand its influence into Asia. It was a place that was meant to influence the people around it, to spread a certain culture so that they would be gathered up into a new kingdom. And then there was a Jewish community here in this city of Philadelphia, a synagogue that seems to have expelled the Jewish Christians, the ones who were there at the time and were trying to talk to them about the Messiah, the new Messiah, Jesus. They had been thrown out. They were no longer welcome to worship there. The door had been shut in their faces. This church itself was small and weak. It could so easily have been discouraged. But they have Jesus, the one who holds the keys, the one who is holy and true, and what he opens, no one can shut. Jesus opens a door for them. He says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. They may no longer be able to discuss their faith with their Jewish brothers and sisters, but Jesus opens a new door for them. They need to hold on and to stand firm. As one door closes, another one opens. And in this context, we can see this open door in two ways. The first way is that it's a door that is a door that leads to salvation. I had a dream once, uh, a long time ago, many years ago. And often with dreams, you forget them as soon as you wake up, don't you? But I can still remember this dream clearly. And it starts with me standing in a queue. And I'm stood in a queue, and there are people in front of me, and I'm queuing up for something that I know is important, but I can't work out what it is. In the end, I pass through a door into a long room, and it's got a wooden floor and yellow walls that are plain. And I have to walk all the way down this long room. And at the far end, I can see that there is, on one side, a big, impressive desk. And on the other side, a small figure on a stool. So I walk up and I stand before the desk. And the desk has got behind it a big, jolly man in a shiny suit. And he's sitting there and he smiles at me. And he says, he says, what are you going to choose today? Which way are you going to go? And as I look at him, I see behind him, there's a big double door with red velvet and gold around the edges. And the door is just coming shut as if someone's just gone through it. And as it shuts, I can hear the sound of people on the other side going off into the distance. The man looks at me and says reassuringly, yes, most people choose to go this way. And he points over his shoulder at the door. Most people choose to go this way. I expect you'll be going through these doors today. And I smiled back at him and I thought, yep, that seems a good way to go. But then I looked across at the man on the stool and he was just a small, insignificant figure in a woolen robe, and he lifted his head for the first time to look at me. And as he did, I could see that he'd been beaten up, and he had blood down the side of his face and matted in his hair, but he had these piercing eyes. And he looked at me, and I looked back at him. His eyes seemed a bit sad, but they were 
filled with emotion. And I looked at him again and I looked at his hands and his hands were folded in his lap and they had blood on the back of them. And then I looked at his feet and his feet were folded under the stool and they were bare feet and they had blood on them. And he didn't say anything to me, he just looked at me and I looked back at him and he didn't need to say anything to me. Behind him there was a small, rough, wooden door that was already open and I knew which way I had to go. He didn't have to ask me to choose. I knew which was the right way, which was the way that would lead me to where I wanted to be. You see, Jesus said there are only two doors and we all have to make a choice. There's a door that leads up to eternal life and there's a door that leads down gently on a wide road that leads to destruction. We all have a choice to make and we need to make the right choice. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus speaks about choosing the narrow door while we still have time. Jesus wants us to make that choice. And Jesus is the key to that door of salvation. It's a cross-shaped key. A key that has unlocked this opportunity for us to move forward into eternal life. It's up to us to decide whether we go through the narrow door or the broad, wide door. The other way in which a door is used in the New Testament is as a door of opportunity, a door open to mission. So St. Paul, when he's writing to the church in his letter to the Colossians, he says, pray that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul wants God to open the door so that the gospel can be proclaimed. And this is another way of looking at that door. And remember that Philadelphia was a frontier town that was meant to influence the people around them. The church there had kept the faith. They'd not denied the name of Jesus. And they'd continued to point people towards Jesus. Even in those difficult times when living in a pagan world pulled many people into the behaviour that stopped them from ever thinking about becoming Christians. This church was pointing to people, pointing people towards Jesus and seeing them saved. Someone wise once said, salvation must move us from selfishness to service. Salvation must move us from selfishness to service. It's our job, once we've gone through that door, to point other people to this door that only Jesus can open for them. We here at St. Jude's are in a time when we're looking at the values and vision that we want as a church as we move forward. How our job of making Jesus the heart of Southsea is going to work out for us. And this is all about looking for those doors that Jesus is opening for us. 
that's why we're spending so much time praying about this. We've been praying about it these last 24 hours so that we can try and discern which way Jesus wants us to go, which door he's opening for us as a church. Amongst church leaders, there's been lots of talk about how to respond to this pandemic. And in doing that, people have drawn on the wisdom and expertise of those who've already been working in the area of natural disasters, of hurricanes and floods and earthquakes. And they've asked people what happens in those sorts of disasters that we can learn from. And they've said that there are three phases in dealing with big disasters like this one that we face. The first phase is response. And then you move on to recovery. And then you move on to rebuilding. So there are three phases, response, recovery, and rebuilding. And in the response phase, there's lots of tasks that have to get done. And that's what we've been doing. We've been making ventilators and vaccines. We've been putting people on furlough and creating food banks. We've responded to the initial problem that the pandemic has posed. The next phase is recovery. And in the recovery phase, it's a much more people-centered phase. Because once you've responded, you need to come to terms with what has happened. People need space to make sense of all that's happened in this last year. They need to make sense of all those lost opportunities, all those lost times with their loved ones, the actual loss of loved ones, all those lost opportunities to celebrate life and gather together, all the damage that this pandemic's made in our society. So we're moving now, in these next months, into this recovery phase. And as a church at St. Jude's, we need to be there for people who need to come and talk and tell their story to make sense of this. And we'll be getting together some resources to help us to do this. We won't necessarily be doing new things. This will be carrying on with what we've already been doing, giving people a chance to make sense of their struggles in services, giving people the chance to form caring community in small groups, looking out for people across our congregations through our pastoral care team, supporting our school and our nursery, supporting the vulnerable through Friday Fridge. Won't necessarily be doing new things, but it will be doing things that Jesus wants us to do because he's opened that door for us, a door that no one can shut. Some people who are sociologists have looked at the growth of the early church in the ancient times and they've uh, put forward a proposal that one of the reasons why the church grew so fast, that, Christ, that Christianity spread all across the Roman Empire, was because when a city was affected by a plague, the Christians stayed in the city. Most of the people, when they saw a plague had taken hold, they left. They just went as far as they could into the hills or the countryside or to somewhere else to get away from the danger that the plague posed. But the Christians stayed, and they stayed to look after the sick and the dying. And then those who did survive the plague, those Christians were already in the city when that city began to recover. When people came back from the countryside or people returned to their homes, the Christians were already organizing people 
and sorting out where people should go and what they should do. And so the Christians were there and able to take on this authority, to take on this role of leadership because they'd been resilient in a time of trouble. And that's really what we need to do in this next phase. Because we have this hope in Jesus, because we can see that he is still with us, that he is still offering us answers in these difficult days. We need to be there for others to gather around, to rebuild again once that recovery phase has happened. We need to be there so that people can make sense of what has happened and look forward to rebuilding once this pandemic has finished. We do this because there are two doors to choose from. One leading to life and salvation. And once we walk through that door, we know that we have to lead other people in that same direction. We become disciples who are engaged in mission that brings light to the world. We do this because God has the best roadmap. And because at the end of this letter, there is the promise of a great reward. For in Jesus, we have a crown because we're part of a royal priesthood. And part of this whole book of Revelation is saying that God and Jesus have power still in the world. Because at the time, the power was seen to be with the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was rolling out and destroying kingdoms. And as they destroyed a kingdom, the king of that kingdom would have to lay down their crown before the emperor. Because the emperor was the one who was really in charge. But Jesus says to these early Christians, you have a crown that no one can take away. A crown that's made up of your deeds here on earth, your good deeds and your overcoming suffering. This is what gives you a crown that will go with you into heaven. And then Jesus says that I will make you a strong pillar in the temple of God. And remember, this is a place where there were earthquakes all the time. To be a strong pillar was to stand firm and to stand out in that place. And Jesus says, you will be able to stand firm because you have foundations that cannot be shaken. Foundations of truth and grace that are found in me. Jesus gives us these foundations. We don't need to worry. We are here because the early church survived against all of this hostility and danger. And we go on being his church and we go on surviving because he's given us this hope. He's given us this power. He's given us this resilience that comes from knowing him. No matter how much the earth shakes, no matter how long this road map takes, whatever we face, We need to hold on and to stand firm. And when we do, we will receive our reward. Jesus opens doors that no one can shut. In him, we have a sure and certain hope. We have a firm foundation. We have the promise of eternal life that no one can take away. There's so much to be thankful for. In Jesus. Let us pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go through this pandemic, we pray that you would help us 
to hold on and to stand firm. We pray that we would grow in our trust of you to guide us and to guard us through these days. And we pray that you would help us to work out the plans that you have for us here at St. Jude's, that you would show us the open doors, the doors that you have opened and that no one can shut. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.